0: and I hope you'll be inspired to write because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Happy Monday, everybody. This is episode 192 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. This month, um, or for a couple of weeks, we are going to go back in time to some of my favorite interviews. And today we are starting out with Jasper Ford. Jasper Ford has made a career of his writing, and I think it's important to listen to people who have not only made that career, but his books don't fit into a certain genre. Um, And yet he's very successful and people love him and love his books, so they're a bit Um, fantastical, a bit satirical, a bit political. They're semi-historical and yet contemporary. They're mysterious and possibly thriller. Um, So yeah, they're a mixture of a lot of genres. And I think it's just important to see that if you love what you write, you can make a career out of it. So let's head back in time about a year ago to listen to Jasper Ford. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Pencils and Lipstick. Today I have with me Jasper Ford. Um, He has been a writer for quite a few years and I'm really excited to talk to him about him just being who he is which is what I would like all of you guys to do as writers. So hello Jasper welcome to the show.
1: Well thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well I'm I'm excited to to talk to you and you um, sound like you're British but would you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I am. I am indeed, as you can hear, British. Um, I've been uh, I've been working. I worked for 20 years in the film industry. Okay. Uh, and the, for the last 10 years of that, I was writing as a hobby and trying to make it work for me. Uh, and then in 1999, I, I got a book deal uh, through nice. Hodder and then Penguin. And, and I've been writing books ever since. I've got 17 books written and they're in a sort of absurdist sort of uh, absurdist kind of fantasy comedy sci-fi horror a bit of everything all squunged in real sort of mixed mixed uh, mixed media mixed uh mixed genre kind of stuff but it's yeah a bit weird but off kilter
0: i've heard you compared to pj woodhouse do you think that's a fair comparison
1: uh, well I, I don't know whether it's fair but it's, <laughs> it's very flattering i think yes. i'll take it listen i will take any of those comparisons
0: when you when I um I told you I had heard about you on from another podcast, a woman talked about your character Thursday next. And I was like, oh, I have to go find out because that's we always talk about names in my writing circle, because names are kind of difficult, but Thursday next is perfect. And then when I saw it compared to PJ Woodhouse, which I just found him <laughs> just oh. as the American reader, you know, like so I've just been soaking that up. Like, well, now I have to buy this book. <laughs> So I, I am starting at the very beginning of your 17 books um, okay. and haven't haven't quite gone all the way through. I love um, you. You do have a very unique way of writing. Oh, like, what would I say? It's like a serious book, but it is very satire, <laughs> you know, like it's funny. Uh, yeah. So how did you come up with this idea, the, especially the first ones?
1: Um, okay, so so to give your, your listeners a little bit of an idea. Yeah. So uh, so the, the premise, so the Thursday next series. So Thursday Next is my protagonist, and she's mm-hmm. essentially a a literary detective, but she can travel inside fiction, right? So she actually works for a policing agency uh, called that that actually work inside fiction, trying to to keep the the, the classics or, or any books that we know. As as the author intended, because characters will try and do different lines. And you know, if, if Hamlet is away from the play for just on a holiday, you know, then all of a sudden Ophelia is trying to make it all about her. And 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 you know, we have this um the uh this li- this uh, this agency and they have to try and keep it on the keep books on the straight and narrow. So there's there's uh, seven books so far in the series. There's another one to be written probably next year. Um, and it's set in an alternative. Um, United Kingdom where everything is very different she has a pet dodo because because genetic science has advanced Um, there are there are vampires um, you know there are werewolves and there are also people who love Shakespeare plays but then there are also people who people who love Kit Marlowe plays and then you know you have riots in the street over who was the best Elizabethan uh, playwright (laughs) so it's a very weird strange mix and in the in the early part of the book just to give you an idea of the flavor is that um is that uh, thursday and her kind of kind of um male love interest landon go to a richard III audience participation play which is just exactly the same as rocky horror but instead of Rocky Horror, they're all shouting out the, you know, the interruptions and the fun and everything right. uh, to the play. So it, it sort of gives you an idea. And as the, as the story progresses, we learn about her her father, who is a sort of time traveler. And right. so it's it's very very curious mix. But the the premise of the first book is that um someone has kidnapped Jane Eyre out of Jane Eyre, right? The book Jane Eyre. Um, so everybody's book on the planet is blank from page 200 on two hundred page 200 onwards because Jane Eyre was actually kidnapped from the original manuscript uh, and it's now being held by the world's third most evil man. Um, you couldn't make it up. Well, you could clearly. Um, and it's, and it's about Thursday next and, uh, Jane Eyre has been kidnapped and Thursday has to try and get her back. Um, so it's a very odd kind of, kind of mix really. Um, well, and it's so yep.
0: serious. You know, I mean, sometimes when you think of satire, maybe this is more the American way. It, you know, the television shows and something, they, they act so silly. Mm. Maybe maybe this is more American in, in the sense of like, you know, right away that it's satire. So mm. when I get into your book, and she's talking about um, uh, how the Duke of Wellington was killed right at the battle, I was like, is my history really poor? Or do I have to go back and look this up? And the Crimean yeah. War is still going on. It's like okay, yeah. all right. Now I get it. Like so, your characters are not um, cartoonish. You know what I mean? Like it's
1: hmm.
0: they're serious about the fact that people are very very serious about their literary work. So that yeah. maybe that is a little bit more of a British flavor. On satire, um, yeah.
1: I mean, I think that there is the thing about the. The Thursday next series is there are uh, elements from all different kinds of books and genres. And it is satire, but it's not that's just one of the threads. I like satire and I use sort of alt all history to sort of posit, you know, what ifs and things like that. Um, but that's just one strand of the book. Um, and and I I always I always sort of feel that the thing about writing writing fantasy which is, I think I, people call it um, science uh, science fantasy mm. rather science fiction science fiction be, being sort of improbable worlds made real whereas science fantasy is impossible worlds made real is, okay. you know and that's just a recent thing I wasn't thinking of that when I wrote it um, but the characters in a fantasy book don't know they're in a fantasy book right. right so so this is this is the thread that runs throughout my in all my books. They're impossible worlds made real, but the people in them don't think it's strange. So so Thursday in her book, with all this stuff going around and having a dodo and having a time traveling father, it's all completely normal for her. So to her, it's like no big deal. And and I think it's because of the the sort of reality of her Mm. world and the way she sees her world as a totally logical reality. That 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 I like to try and get across to the to the reader, and right. then you kind of then you kind of buy into her reality because it, it is her reality. So yeah. so yeah, so satire is just sort of one thread of sort of many many things that I, I put into the book.
0: Right, of course. So how how did you come up with this idea? Are you, hmm. I mean, you have to know a lot about literature. You have to know a lot about history to alter history. Alter
1: <laughs> history, yeah. Um, well, I I mean, like all. Like all writers, um, and if, if, if you if you don't have a, a a sort of mind like a drift net, then you should try and cultivate that, because the, yeah. the 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 great thing about writing is that you, I find is that I I've been collecting little factoids throughout my life, right, and just little things, yes. and because to make to make something appear real, you don't need to know everything about it. You just need to know like a few things you know that can actually give it a feel of reality. So although I may look as though I know tons about everything I know a little about a lot rather than a lot about a little which I think is actually perfect if yes. you're a writer you know a little a little about a lot. Um and so so what I'm doing is I'm just playing with stuff that amuses me but I think also the main theme of the book and you know, when I'm giving talks to writers or I'm speaking to writers, you know, I do one on ones with where you I read a thousand words of their, you know, first chapter. And then mm-hmm. we talk about the first chapter. Um, you know, one of the questions I ask people is, you know, what is it, what's your book about? And I don't mean the plot. I mean, what is it actually about? You know, thematically just overarching. And I think with with uh, the Thursday next series, especially the air affair, the, the one in which um, Jane Eyre is kidnapped of Jane Eyre. It's the sort of what it's about is it's about that the classics have been taken away and, make and made into study texts. And actually, right. we should be we should be sniggering at the back of, back of English classes at the things that don't really add up in the classics. And Jane Eyre, I think, has been sort of slightly taken away um, from readers and, and it's now it's now something that, that students study. And, and that was not what the book was intended to be about. And, you know, luckily, you know, other other books have escaped this. I think, you know, like Shakespeare studied a little too much at schools and less about just enjoying it. But I think there's a sort of sniggering at the back of English class feel about the air affair. And I just wanted to say, look, the classics can be fun and right. you know, we, could, we can look at all the silliness within them because a lot of them, there's huge continuity errors. And there's massive plot holes and all sorts of things in a lot of the big classics. And and to look at those and to, you know, actually sort of have fun at the expense of the, you know, these illustrious authors who were clearly in a big problem and needed to move the story on and didn't know how to do it. So they just brought in some magic or something, um, I think is is a great way of of sort of playing with it. Um, But the, the initial idea was the way I always write, which is what I call the narrative dare. Right. So it's a great thing to do. So what you do is you set yourself a narrative dare and then you have to write your way out of it. So the first book I wrote, although it wasn't the first book I got published, was uh, a murder mystery with Humpty Dumpty as the victim (laughs) so it works in a similar way it's like okay it begins he's dead he's like his shell is broken it's at the bottom of a wall okay and then you have a policing agency the nursery crime division uh that deal with all the crime in in nursery stories and nursery rhymes because there's a lot of crime there um and they and they have to put this literally put this back together and then find out about him and who killed him you know because it it wasn't an accident you know it wasn't suicide it was easter you know a depressing time for eggs but um no it was murder and and who killed him and why and and that is the narrative dare you know Humpty Dumpty murder mystery you know who killed him yeah Yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh and and you and then you expand (laughs) that into 100,000 words and you've got a book that I wrote called Big Over um and that was the first book I wrote Uh, and that was my narrative dare and the second book I wrote was um, uh, similar with the nursery crime division again um, run by Jack Spratt and Mary Mary and uh, this was called the fourth bear and this was about a missing missing person missing investigative journalist called Goldilocks who trashes the bear's house and then goes missing and it's like okay (laughs) what was she doing in the bear's house you know what was going on with the bears and most importantly you know why were mummy bear and daddy bear sleeping in separate beds right which indicate you know some marital discord within the bear family unit and also why was the porridge um different temperatures when it was poured at the same time (laughs) right so there's a huge thermodynamic you know issue regarding the porridge so you can use all these threads you know it sounds kind of serious and you can use all these threads and bring them all together. And there was a very good reason why Mummy Bear and Daddy Bear are sleeping in Sarah's beds. And I totally explained the porridge problem in The Three Bears. And it's all wrapped up in this. Everyone thinks it's real to the characters. It's real. It's scary. Right. You know, people right. are dying here, you know. Um, but but the what I'm going on about is the narrative dare. Humpty Dumpty is killed. Someone's responsible. Right. I was the porridge at different temperatures when it was poured at the same time.
0: And see if uh, you can write
1: 100,000 words about that. That's the narrative death. So when I moved on to the air affair, it was Jane Eyre's been kidnapped. Someone has to get her back.
0: Right. And okay. I
1: okay. see that. Right. So
0: <laughs> So in, in when you're writing these books, did you plan on publishing them or were they just for fun? I mean, what were you, because you, you're working in, in television. I mean, were you planning on moving into writing, being a
1: novelist? Um, I, I think it was, I think I liked the idea of mm-hmm. being a writer. Um, uh, originally I was, I was trying to write a, f- a film scripts cause I wanted to make okay. my own movies. Um, and, uh, I was writing a treatment. I wanted to write a treatment first to get all the characters in, you know, position and the atmosphere and the pace and everything. So I wanted to write a short story and then I would transfer that into a, into a screenplay because I heard someone d- used to do that and it works quite well but once I started writing this short story I was going okay this is actually really good fun I'm really enjoying myself okay. here and and I don't actually have to film it I can actually yeah. do everything I want to do just with the 26 letters of the alphabet and you know and nine uh punctuation marks and and that's and that's basically all I need. And the only limit is the limit of my imagination. So I think I found myself sort of accidentally an author. Okay. Uh, and then I just really liked it. And I was just working with the form and trying to make it better. But I kind of didn't think that I was really going to be published. Because as I said, I wrote the those two nursery crime books. So The Humpty Dumpty and The Fourth Bear. And I wrote those and I was trying to get them published because I thought, you know, who, who wouldn't want to know that? You know, who wouldn't yes. want to know? <laughs> You know, who killed Humpty Dumpty? And the answer was no one, right? Everybody <laughs> I sent it to it rejected it. It was like, no, this is silly, you know? And they didn't even read it. You know, in those days, you used to send, you know, a, a pricey and a begging letter and a, and a first chapter. And they never asked to see the second chapter. That's so funny. Um, So clearly this was not something that anyone wanted. So after the rejection of those two books, right? This was before I wrote The Air Affair. Um, so after the rejection of those two books, I was going, okay, well, I, I might not be published. Right. So so that's interesting. So what do, what do I do here? Do I carry on writing knowing I'm not going to be published or do I just give up mm-hmm. or do I actually really love what I'm doing? And and I think the thing was, that I actually really loved what I was doing. But the big jumping off point for this, and this is why I think this might be very interesting to people listening, is that once my two nursery crime books were my were, were my sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, conventional books. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they would get a public a publisher because they were kind of zany, but there's a hook there that you can understand. They're not kind right. of off the wall. So so after they they failed, I thought, well, it doesn't matter what I write now because I'm not going to be published. Right. So I can write entirely for myself, and I okay. can just put anything in the book that I want because no one's going to read it, right? So right. so that book was the air affair. So I gave myself a release by saying. I'm not going to be published. It doesn't matter what I write. I'm going to write exactly what I want. This is going to be me all over the page. This is how my brain works. This is what I'm interested in because I love high. I, I really like good literature, but I really like fart jokes and the two can totally live together right. and, and I can have and I can have vampires and I can have time travel And all this kind of nonsense, and I can sponge it all together in a package that is very, very strange, but kind of makes sense. And that's the kind of challenge. And bizarrely, that was the book that then got me published. The very fact that I was not following any conventions at all, and I was doing exactly what I wanted to do, was what the publishers actually wanted to see. And it was they were like, okay, i do not understand this book. I don't know who's gonna buy it. I just know that I really like it and I want yes. to publish this book. And that's what happened.
0: I, I really like that because I um yeah. I really think right now a lot of especially indie writers. So it's a little bit easier these days um to get your book out there, right? You you can do yeah. it yourself. You just need to get a cover, and you you know, you get it out there, whether or not it sells or anybody knows that it's there is a whole different thing. Right. But, but being an author, you don't have to go to the published houses. And of course they're collapsing over here in America, but um, and becoming fewer, that's the problem. <laughs> There's a fewer publishing houses and it's harder and harder to get published by them. So you can, technically you can do whatever you want. And yet there is still this, like this pressure to do what the market Wants and figure out what the market wants, which yeah. I don't know that you ever really can because you'd have to be out there polling people, right? Like, what do you want? And have to tell you? I mean, we're humans, they don't know what they want. You know, none mm-hmm. of us knew what we wanted until, you know, we didn't know we wanted Harry Potter until he came around. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like they have this, this, like, there's this frenetic energy in within, especially indie authors, of like, what should I write? Mm-hmm. And what I love, what I've told you before, is like you write what you want to write, and you're very much yourself. You know, you are not trying to follow the conventions of what indie people, mm-hmm. especially or even traditionally published, you need to have your website and you in this and this, and it all has to look exactly cookie cutter the same. <laughs> so that, yeah. For whatever yeah. reason, I don't know why.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, I mean, it's a you know, very interesting thing. I mean, I did not write; I specifically did not write to market. Absolutely not. I wrote exactly what I wanted to write. And I think that comes across in the book. Yes. Right. That this is not a book that is a conventional book for, you know, well, that sold last year, so this will, you know, sell this year. And I think that's really important that that authors write what they want to write, because the authenticity of your words on your page will peel across to the to the reader. Uh, and and even if it even if it's not conscious it'll be subconscious and and your quirky where you know view of the world because you're exporting a worldview when any creative any creative is exporting a worldview whether they see it in music or art or gardening or poetry or novel writing or acting or directing or anything at all you're kind of sort of putting this idea of your your worldview or how you want the world to be or how you would like it to be or how mm-hmm. it looks like to you. and it's that quirky inner vision that i think really really sparks a book gives it that little sort of magic little bit of pixie dust that sort of just makes it sort of sparkle you know and I, and I think it's interesting what you're saying because about um I don't know a huge amount about you know indie authors and getting published you know you know e-publishing yourself you know kind all that sort but it does sound like to me, um, that people are going for hits rather yes. than uh, some sort of vision. And, right. you know, I mean, if I wanted, you know, if, you, if you've got an Instagram account and you want to get a lot of hits, you kind of know the right sort of picture. Like you'll have your toes in, an, uh, just toes at the bottom of the frame, <laughs> and then there'll be a beach and there'll be a shell in the upper right. And everyone will go, oh, my God, that's an amazing picture. But it's not your picture. Right. It's just a picture that you've confected because you kind of know that's what people will like, and you can give people what they want, but don't give it in the way they expect it. You yeah. know, you can have love triangles, you can have you know boy meets girl, girl meets girl, boy meets boy. It doesn't really matter, um, but it, it it's just got to be in a way that people aren't expecting. If you're doing a similar sort of story, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you can do that too because there's no there's no rules in in writing. Right. You can you can remake anything. You can remake Romeo and Juliet in a novel. And as long as it's an original look and it's your view of how you see Romeo and Juliet, then that's going to work. But it's got to be it's got to be your work. It can't be something confected, you know, really go inside yourself and really ask yourself what you want to write. What do you find funny? What do you find annoying? What are your little pet quirky peeves about the the world that you find really annoying? Or something that you adore, like, I don't know, roller derby or whatever, you know, some secret pleasure of whatever, and just use it and put it on the page and just absolutely be yourself you
0: know yeah I I do think that you're right about that authenticity people readers can feel it even if they can't put it into words they they can feel when the author is is not really being fully themselves because they're you know you're writing from the protagonist's point of view but like you say you're also writing from what you know as an author you know so if you put something in there that you don't really understand stand or care about. I think that the readers kind of know that because it's just, it's like the depth of it isn't there, which I think goes back a little bit to what you say, you ask writers, like, what is this about? Do you ever find that writers really, they like scramble to make it something deeper? (laughs) <laughs> what it, like, I, I feel like some of them that I work with, they're like, well, it's about the, um well, you know, the the human condition or whatever, like, we're always trying to make it some, some literary high school, you know, professor will give an A plus to instead of being like, it's about be having fun with the classics, you right. know, getting, do you ever find that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time and, and this isn't necessarily a criticism is that nine times out of 10, when I ask that question um, to authors, they will go. They try and tell me the plot and I have to interrupt okay. them and say, no, no, I don't want to know the plot. What is this actually about? And then they have to think and right. they say something like it's it's somebody trying to. Their identity. And I went, perfect.
0: Perfect. Yeah.
1: You know, what's you know, that's going to appeal to like everyone, you know, right. especially, you know, teens perhaps, you know, or even younger, you know, t- people in their 20s, middle-aged struggling. people. <laughs> yeah, still trying to f- struggle out who they are and what they right. are. And especially, you know, nowadays in which you know, the, the whole idea of having a you know lifelong career in something is no longer a thing. Now sure. we can you know people growing up now can be expected maybe to have you know six or seven different jobs or careers or whatever. So you know identity is a a, a tricky one and you know and I think that's really important and strikes a chord. So but they can, it can be you know about anything. I, I wrote a book called um, Early riser, which the the narrative dare is set a world, set a um, write a thriller in a world in which humans have always hibernated, right which I kind of like. So humans have always hibernated. So, so we're different so socially, um, physiologically, um, economically, everything. Um, and it's set in a in a in a world that's very, very cold and gets and seemingly getting colder. And you know, climate change is a big issue because things are getting colder and 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 uh, you know scientists are actually setting fire to you know a uh, under Underground coal seams, you know, in order to, in order to c- create carbon dioxide, because they they think well, we might be able to get a greenhouse effect going in order to, you know, make the planet a little warmer, because we're just slowly, you know, it's really, you know, really bad, and, you know, and 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 this is basically, you know, it's, it's just about someone making their way through the first winter as a winter consul, because there have to be people who look after the sleeping millions, and and they're sort of again, they're sort of trying to find, find their identity. But the kind of theme of the book is actually uh, this is this is humans on the on the edge of extinction. Right. This is what it looks like a thousand years before we go. Yeah. And, and no one's really kind of thinking about it. But this is kind of going on, going on in the background. But people have lives and they have problems and they have issues they have to deal with. But this is this is humans heading towards extinction. and And that's right. kind of what the book is about. And I was really, really pleased. Um, because I I didn't really put any of that in when I was marketing it, you know, that wasn't in any of the talks I gave when I went around talking about it. But it was it was actually welcomed as a as a cli fi climate fiction book. Okay. Uh, and people were picking that up. And uh, actually, somebody is actually, I think, in Madrid, maybe in the next few days, giving a talk about that book, um, oh, as, wonderful. you know, as, as talking about about exactly the sort of themes that I was was talking about, inverting the uh, the climate emergency to a climate cooling rather than climate you know right. what we have at the moment with climate boiling um yes to, to say essentially the same thing um but it's no less important obviously um, right yeah so so you know it doesn't have to be what it's about and sometimes you can write a book and you don't know what it's about until you finish it because you know re- your re- your best writing i'm sure anyone who's listening best writing is the paragraph that comes out without really thinking. You know, because yeah. when you're learning to be a writer, what you're actually learning to do is to write intuitively, to write without thinking, because that's the best writing, because it's just coming straight out. Mm. And sometimes when it does that, you don't know why it did. And when you look at it later, maybe a couple of months later, you're rewriting. You go, I oh, know, I get that now. Yeah, I understand right. where I'm going. And and the whole book can turn out that way. And someone will read it and go, whoa, God, that's all about your uh, your failed relationship. And you go, was it? And you go, oh, my God, totally. And you go, oh, my God, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just this writing is this wonderful, fantastic, you know, dark science that we don't fully understand. It's it's us all over. The novel is the greatest, the greatest artistic, you know, achievement of humans, as far as I'm concerned. You know, painting, terrific. Love them. But a novel Uh, there's everything, has everything
0: in it. Right, right. I mean, novels, like you said, even with the classics, we're still reading things from 600 years ago and laughing about it. If, you know, if you're not a sophomore in high school, you're never laughing then. Uh, But do you, do you think that your work in film has helped you sort of regard writing as this, as understanding how the story process goes? Because I do think sometimes too, we, we might have a knack for writing, but story is a different thing like Mm. having like you said you you go back and read some of the classics and you're like yeah this wouldn't pass these days because there's a massive hole in this plot you know like oh so he's just gonna figure this out and come get you now you know like I mean but when you're when you're in that somehow still you're in the story and so you just sort of accept it because you love the characters or whatever so it is possible to have a plot hole and still have fans right but but it's better to have like this, understand how story is told. um, Because I do think a lot of writers are writing out what they think is a story. And then it's not selling because it's somehow it's not bringing, it's not bringing the readers in. So the first few pages, if you read a story, you know, right away, if you're going to finish it, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, know. there's just something about it. Right. So like you say, you, you only take a, a couple pages of, of writers, and then you're asking them questions already. So it, it doesn't take much. So do you think your, your work in film has helped you just sort of have this intuition or did you learn about story or how did that, that work when, with you?
1: Um, uh, I think you may, everyone can tell a story, you mm-hmm. know, but some people are better at telling stories than others. I mean, if, um, I think if, 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 an, if, if you can tell a joke Right. Which is essentially a story because it's a setup and a payoff. And, the, and if you have a really good payoff, then it's going to work as a joke. And people are going to have this, you know, very, very, you know, passionate and instant, you know, response to it, which is laughter. Um, and if you can tell a really good joke that take, takes about five or 10 minutes to tell, if you're someone who can already do that, then you're clearly someone who has a, a knack for storytelling. Mm. Um, you can learn it. You can certainly learn to tell a good story. Um, I don't know whether you can learn to tell a great story. I think really great books are very, very few and far between. Very, very few and far between. It's like great painters, great art, any great art, very rare. Um, I think the film business um, it didn't really tell me about about structure because when you make a movie, you make it in the wrong order. Oh, do you? (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, totally yeah so you know the first the first day of shooting you could be filming the final scene you know a deathbed scene it doesn't usually work that way because it would be terrible for actors you know um but when the first usually the first couple of days you're just sort of working your way into it with some minor scenes but they might happen in the movie two-thirds of the way down the okay down the film right and if you've got if you've got a, a set where it's there are seven different scenes, all of which happen at different times in the in the film. Of course, you'll shoot them all at the same time, uh, which means that you your your actor, and this is a skill of a movie actor, is they have to be in seven different places, all at the same time. It's like, what am I now? What's just happened? What's the previous scene? (laughs) What 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 situation is this? (laughs) What do we do? Um, which is why you know film actors are so good and why they're worth, you know, so much, so much, so much money, you know.
0: Right. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's a very hard thing to do. I think, you know, being a theatre actor, I think is you have to learn more lines, but it's uh it's you at least you have an arc that you can actually perform, you know, all, all in one go. Um so so I didn't really learn about narrative, but I think where it really helped me was that I found myself in a lot of very unusual situations and did a lot of travel. And I would, I'm, you know, there are no one should never generalise in, you know, about people's, um, people's world um, experiences before writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if you have more world experiences and some very strange world experiences before writing, you have more to draw on. It's kind of, you look at it on a well, right? Because everything goes in the well and then you take something out of the well. But if there's nothing going in the well, then you're really scraping literally the bucket at the bottom of the string. So if you've literally, you know, you're aged 18 and you're writing books which have a sort of broad sort of understanding about a lot of things, you know, that's that would might be a cause for concern. Um, that there's just not enough in your life to have actually, you know, and there probably has been, there's probably been tons of really interesting stuff. but. You know, working working the night shift in a McDonald's in Iowa City, you know, that's going to put you in touch with a lot of interesting stuff that you can right. really put. That can really fill the well. If you worked as a in a funeral parlor or you were any of these sort of places, really interesting jobs with a lot of very, you know, very interesting people, um, that can really fill the well. Do things, you know, go to places, do stuff talk to people, you know, re- interact with people that you don't know. And you get all this strange lines of dialogue and odd sort of non sequiturs that you don't really understand and people's bizarre beliefs sometimes. Um, and all of that stuff really, really helps. And I, I I didn't start writing until I was 27. And I didn't start publish, I wasn't published until I was 39. And I I don't see that as a any sort of failing. And I know that Nowadays, as always, you know, youth is obviously, you know, favoured and we want to see our superstars age 23 as the major (laughs) new force in in writing. And I'm saying, you know, don't don't worry, you know, write the really great book when you're 35 rather than the rather crappy book you write when you're 23 and then you give up. You know, it's like there's a lot of life out there. (laughs) <laughs> you know and you say life is short but it's it's not it's actually quite a long time you know in 10 years is is a good time to fill that well and and just think about writing and experimenting and just get out there and talk to people and just you know get a bit of life experience and and then you'll really find that your writing will really start to really start to kick
0: I think that's probably the the best advice I've ever heard although I took quite a few writing um classes when I was younger in college and all that. And I think some people tried to say that, you know, write what you know, write what you've, but you don't quite understand what they're saying because you're like, well, I'm from rural Wisconsin. What do I know? <laughs> like cows get out sometimes in their pain, you know, but actually the older I get and the more that I write, the more curious I am, like you said about humans and just hearing them talk and sometimes I wish, of course, always at the moment that somebody says something really quirky, that's when I don't have, you know, three journals in my purse <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> or, or a recorder. Can you say that again? Um, but I think the more that I write, the more curious I am just. About... Oh, okay, you've frozen if you can hear me. Oh, are you frozen? Okay, just a second. Oh, no, you're back. Let's just pause for a second. Are you back? Are you... Yeah, no, I can Can hear you. Can you hear me at all?
1: Yeah, no, I can hear you. Yeah, no, that's good.
0: You're good? Okay. Yeah. Somehow... Okay. A little bit of a technical blip, but yes, uh, basically I I agree with you. If I could have been told that as a younger person to take life experiences and just soak them in, I think Mm. that's probably the best well for somebody who wants to be a writer, you know, Mm. to take them and maybe jot them down, maybe write a short story and keep them and then use them later um, and bringing out your authenticity. But um Let's see. So you have you've written 17 books in mm-hmm. what, 19 years, like basically a book a year. Y-
1: yes, it used to be. I, I wrote a book for one, a book uh, a year for 10 years. And then and then I slowed down a bit. So I think it's it's about one every 18 months. now. I think. Yeah. So i first book that in 2001, so that's 21 years. And so I think I'm working on my 18th at the moment. So, OK, yeah, I like to write, as you can see. <laughs>
0: you see? <laughs> mm. You like to write, and you like i I have to say, um it is it's very much the way that you write very much pulls the reader in without really going overboard on the um the world building. I think sometimes the the books that I work with, sometimes the people that I work with, all the world buildings there. I think you do a really neat trick where you do the like history of spec ops right in the beginning of the chapter, you know, So, which again, I was like, is this real? <laughs> 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 which I think is actually a good question for the reader to be like, Oh, like I'm being pulled in. I want to know what this is about. So I think that's a great trick for, for world building, but I do see sometimes a lot of writers probably cause this is, this is probably how we're taught in our one writing class in high school or something, you know, to give the backstory basically of the, Hmm. of the world or the characters there. Um, Which I guess is important to understand in a way that you then don't have to overgive possibly. Hmm. Do you have any theories on that? Or is this just how you write?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're writing, if you're writing fantasy, you know, science fiction, science fantasy, exposition is always going to get in your way.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
1: it's really, really annoying. And especially if you write a book which is a very high concept book, and you've got a lot of stuff to get get uh, get through to the reader before they can really start to understand the world. And the big problem is, is because because your characters don't think the world is unusual. Why would they explain the world? And and my my, I I write mostly in first person, not always, Um, but I I'm, I'm always. I always think that people don't really don't people don't care about the world. Right. The world is a canvas. Right. When pe- we look at a painting, you're not looking at the canvas. Right. What you're looking at is is what's on the canvas and people are interested in people. And and I think the big issue with a lot of people is they, they start off not with character, but place. And I think you've got to start off with your character and get your characters going. And then you just draw it in slowly. And, and I think okay. that's the biggest, biggest issue I've seen with people just putting in way too much exposition way too early and you just put in little dribs and drabs and then you just you just literally sort of like I don't know tease your audience into this world and and also also you must also realize that readers are very good right readers are really good at picking up a lot from very little so sometimes it's like just get rid of the get rid of the paragraph and just leave that one sentence and that's yes. all you need to do. And your readers will put it all together because they're really very smart. Um, so, yeah. And I just say, look, get rid of all this or why. I mean, I one a trick that I do quite often is I start a book on a train or on a journey. Right. Because then you you're coming from somewhere to somewhere else. OK. Right, But it's not you don't have to say straight away. You can see things out the window. Uh, you can have random conversations with people in the train or on the journey, and you can slowly then start to build. You know where where we're coming from. Why are we leaving there? Why are we going to this place? Why particularly this place? Is there a reason that you have to be there? Um, and then you can just slowly bring in all that information during. You know maybe and you know an hour of a. Uh, uh, of, a, of a journey or a train journey I, I've started I think I've started three books three books now with a trade journey and it, it works really well for me um, oh interesting okay. yeah so it's an, and quite often people will sort of start off with a big expositional thing and I'll say no why why don't you just have them to- talking I think there's uh well yes actually here's a good example so so in Thursday we we're talking th- about Thursday next in the air affair and she has a pet mm-hmm. dodo um called Pickwick Because dodos, you could sort of make yourself in a home cloning um, kit, you know, and it was all the rage. Um, And I thought, right, we need I need, you know, people are going to be saying, what's this with dodos? Right. So instead of having Thursday explain about dodos, she has to get it um, registered. (laughs) <laughs> so she has to go down to a little government agency, and she's in a queue with a lot of other dodo owners, and they're all a bit kind of nerdy. Oh well, you know, I have the uh, dodo version three point eight two, and that was made in certainness. And she's going, yeah, this is like really boring. I just have my pet dodo because I like him, and it's. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and. And, and then she does that and something happens and she meets someone and she comes away. And, and so what I've done is I've shown a little bit about her. I've shown a little bit about the world, how she reacts to other people, what the other people are like in that alternative world. And, and I haven't told anyone about dodos. I've demonstrated dodos to the reader. Right. And, and that's what you've got to do. You don't tell readers. You demonstrate things around your principal characters so that the readers can kind of figure it out for themselves. Yes. And, and it's the same way as I, I spoke earlier about the um, o- uh, Richard the Third audience participation play. Great fun to write. It kind of wrote itself. It was terrific fun to write. But it was a lot of exposition because it was essentially explaining this is Thursday's world. You know, I yes. don't need to explain Thursday's world because it's happening around her in a big kind of way. People love literature. And 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 i think that's the way to do you know exposition you know what do they say use exposition as uh, ammunition um yeah, just, yeah and just hide it you know just hide okay. it in plain view and and just ha- and have your characters you know characters are what humans love humans you know yes. even they want to they want to read about humans you know even if you read about rabbits in a book, you know, or you know, donkeys or you know, anything. They're all humans. You know, we'll ship down the book about rabbits. They're all humans, having human right. issues, human problems, still rabbits, but they were actually humans. So you know, just talk about your, your human characters or um and then just bring in, you know, bring in the exposition afterwards. Yes,
0: I think that's actually brilliant advice that you don't have to go out reading tons of craft books for, <laughs> which and I think um as we, as writers, we tend to do it as the, as I looked out the window, I reflected on blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I really yeah. like that idea. And and you always want to tell them, right? Like, you know, I, I don't like the reader's not going to be interested in this, but your advice of like putting it into something in a scene where something's happening. And so that they can talk about it in a real way, not a like, because the readers pick up when the writer has put it in there as a way to explain to you, the reader, how this is working. Like we, we know when the writer is doing that. So I really like that advice of putting it in there in yeah. these different scenes. Um, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, so what, what is the next book that is coming out? Is it a um, Thursday next book? Well, is it? A-
1: uh, no, I'm writing, a, writing a, um, a sequel to a book I wrote about 10 years ago at the moment. But oh, wow. the last book that came out that I should probably try and promote. Yes, was, what uh, is it? Uh, something called The Constant Rabbit. Which is a human, um, right? <laughs> uh, which is about rabbits. Um, the, the premise of this book is that is that about um, in sort of 1967, 18 rabbits were, were anthropomorphized into six-foot-high sort of human-rabbit things right so they can talk and they can walk and they can drive cars and they can do all sorts of human things but they're also essentially rabbits too so you know they're clearly vegan and and everything <laughs> like that and when they arrive on the planet everyone is like whoa that's so amazing you know welcome tell us about what it's like being a rabbit it must be fascinating you know and they go on all the chat shows you know around the world and everything and it's so everyone's very excited um but it's 50 years later and and now in the uk the united kingdom anti-rabbit party has actually demonized rabbits and see them as the as the their ills um well you know they burrow and they breed they're, they're yes, breed, you know, uh, they, <laughs> they going to breed and um you know they're going to set off what's called a litter bomb um which is going to essentially you know it, do you you know, they'll outbreed us. And before you know it, they'll be our masters and we'll be sort of, uh, you know, just eating carrots and stuff like that. So they they get they are demonized. They the demonized um, minority other in, in a UK, which seems to have swung clearly towards the uh, uh, the the right. And, and it's about my character who works for the Rabbit Compliance Task Force, a minor cog in a wheel. And he doesn't think he's the porophobic in the least. You know, he thinks he's very. He's he's very open minded and everything towards rabbits, but clearly he's not. And he lives in a little village and a family of rabbits move in next door and the rest of the villagers want them out. Um, And they say, well, you know, you, you live next door, so you try and get them out, you know, try and bribe them. And if not, that will, you know, use heavier methods. And then he finds out that Connie Rabbit, who is the Mrs. Rabbit in the they have there's two of them. Right. Mr. and Mrs. Rabbit. And they've got two children. And um, and he finds out that Connie Rabbit was actually um, uh, someone he met at university years ago and had sort of kind of a bit of a thing, too. So it's kind of awkward. And that's essentially the kicking off point for the book. Um, but, you know, clearly it's a very satirical edge um, instead right. of, you know, the usual minority. Other I'm taking um, uh, rabbits, um, which uh, which are actually a really good. A really good sort of um, animal to choose because there's no indignity and, and method of murder heaped upon rabbits that haven't been heaped upon humans as well. Right, right. So yeah, so it's about and the the, you, you, the UK government wants to um, wants to move them for their own safety to a uh, you know safe yes, haven in Wales, their... you know where they can be looked after and um, made sure that they're not subject to any laparophobic you know damage and stuff like that. All the tropes are there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everything's there it's there's no surprises it's very unsubtle but we live in very unsubtle times um, you know but, so I, but I, somehow
0: I, <laughs> we see that it's easier to swallow and then be able- yeah if you if you might have used the exact same thing but actual humans and minorities there would be a lot of people who are like well i'm not going to read it
1: (laughs) like i'm not gonna Uh, i know what that's about yeah i think that people aren't going to read it don't read any books to be honest well
0: yes that might be (laughs) but you might get a Uh, few who will read it and start seeing the world a bit differently just because uh, they didn't know
1: (laughs) i've had some really good because it's 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 a voyage of discovery for my character Mm -hmm. who realizes that although he's not he's not really bad leporophobic he's enough to make a you know, make things worse. And he's not, he's yes. not doing enough and never has. And, and it's kind of his understanding that there is actually, you know, a lot of problems out there. um. So, but it's, it's allegorical, you know, allegorical yeah. is good fun. I mean, uh, it's, it, I, I don't know whether it follows in the footsteps, but it's certainly within the same family um, as Animal Farm, you know, right. um. and, and books like books like that, to be honest. um. But it's, uh, it was great fun to write you know, having and anthropomorphized, um, animals are always good fun, always good fun because yes. <laughs> they, gonna... they're rabbits, but they're also human. So, you know, there's obviously a big thing about, you know, breeding and, um, and having lots of families, you know, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a lot of fun, but it's also, there are some moments in it, which are a bit like that. Ooh, right. yeah, okay. Ooh, that's, that's quite, quite close. Yeah. Um,
0: I think that's a great uh, narrative challenge we can uh, mm. leave the listeners with. If they can take, find an animal that they can write what they really want to write about. But mm. I think um, if anybody wants to find out what it's like to be an author who has definitely stuck to to who he is, um, I'll have the links in the show notes. Jasper Ford. That's double
1: F. Where
0: mm-hmm. does that come from? Is that?
1: Uh, we're not. We're not
0: sure. <laughs> we just it decided
1: an affectation i don't know from somewhere yeah double f uh so double f o r d e so jasperford.com is uh, is my website
0: just to make it really easy for people yeah. <laughs> <Double> f- <Yeah. laughs> but i'll have the links in the show notes the constant rabbit is the the one that has just come out mm-hmm. um and then you can find all the other books the jane affair and uh, not the jane affair the Air affair. I always just want to call it (laughs) Jane's the air affair. Uh, If you guys want to read it along with me, and I'll let you guys know. Obviously, I like it right now, and I'll let you guys know what I think about it at the end. And thank you so much, Jasper, for coming in and talking to us. I think you've got given us some really great advice as writers.
1: Well, thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
0: If you wanna find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.